0: Welcome to Stand Strong in the Word podcast, Jason Jimenez with you as always so glad that you are tuning in. My friend, if you missed the previous podcast, Podcast 28, we talked about Jesus being our Sabbath and that is so important. So if you need to find rest, if you need to be encouraged, if you need to be refreshed, I pray that you go to StandStrongMinistries.org, check out that previous podcast It's on SoundCloud, iTunes. My notes are up there for you, so take advantage of those things. So today in Podcast 29, we will be talking about how to be blessed by God. Everybody wants to be blessed by God. It's innate in all of us, even people who reject the Lord, which is so sad, but I believe that at some point in their life, they have chosen to disregard God. They don't want to worship God. They don't want God in their life, and they're going to miss out on the blessing and their lives are horrible as a result. And so you may know someone like that, or perhaps maybe you uh, landing upon this podcast are in that predicament right now. And I just want you to know that I'm so glad you're listening. I'm praying for the people. Every time I do this podcast, as I study and prep and do it, I look forward to it because my devotional time as I prep and study through God's word, but also want to put it out there to help us together as brothers and sisters in the Lord to just draw close to the Lord and be blessed by him. So today, here's what's cool. And this is going to be for the next uh, few podcasts. I don't know in total how many. I've been studying up a lot on this right now, but we are going to be spending probably a few weeks on the Sermon on the Mount, by Far the greatest sermon ever given. Okay, nothing compares to this. Paul's uh, speech that he gave uh, to Eropagus uh, in Acts seventeen. Nope, doesn't this doesn't compare. Moses's praise in Exodus fifteen doesn't compare. Okay, or his Psalm ninety thing about eternity and being so finite and and meaningless as a human being. Those are great things because they're inspired by the God's word. But the sermon Mount is the best. Billy Graham. Can't compare it to the Sermon on the Mount, okay? Or, or you fill in the blank who you think is the greatest preacher that you've ever heard. The Sermon on the Mount, if you just read it from start to finish, from Matthew 5 through 7, you can get through it in like 10 minutes, okay? So this was a very short, but the most powerful sermon ever given. And I want to tell you, and I'll probably be telling you this. In uh, weeks to come, but I am just so heavily convicted And this this whole concept of the Sermon on the Mount, Christian. That's what I've been praying for, and I pray that you would join me uh, in praying that same prayer. Lord, help me be a Sermon on the Mount Christian. And if you don't really understand what that means, you will find out. You know, one, if you got to take a pause and just jump into Matthew five through seven, go ahead. But as we're going through it, you will see what I mean by that because every section, every few verses that we'll be sitting on and meditating on and unpacking is tremendously powerful and totally convicting. So with that being said, I do want to just set things up before we look at Matthew 5, 1 through 12 today. But before we do that, I do need to just finalize in the chronological order that Jesus finalizes his disciples. You can see this in Mark chapter 3, 13 through 19, in Luke chapter 6, 12 through 16. Now, let me just jump right in there because, man, I want to cover enough time in the Beatitudes. And so, in Luke chapter 6, verse 12, it says, In those days... Jesus went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve. Okay, so who were the twelve? Simon. Uh, whose name was Peter, Andrew, his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Now, if you jump back to Mark chapter 3, look at verse 14, listen to, uh, or actually, let me just read verse 13, listen to how Mark puts it. He says, and when he went up to the mountain, that was Jesus, right, and called to him, those whom he desired and they came to him. Notice verse 14 now says, and he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Wow, that really puts things in perspective. And so now the interesting thing here is when we look at the the number of 12 that corresponds you know, to the 12 tribes of Israel, Uh, and and more or less expressing Jesus' claim on the whole nation that he's going to use these disciples who are going to become apostles and through the power of the Holy Spirit and the written word of God that's going to be inspired upon man to write. God's going to do a great work uh, in the church, but also in his outreach to the Jewish people. Okay, so now the other thing too I want to make mention just on the, as a side note before we jump into the Sermon on the Mount, because as, as in chronological order, as Jesus finalizes his disciples, He then gives them the way to live. And that's when we're going to look into Matthew 5 uh, through 7. But I just want to point out one quick little observation, and that has to do with, when you go back to Jacob's sons, you know, his 12 sons, who had many foibles, they had many faults, many mistakes. They weren't the best of character. Same thing here with Jesus' disciples. They had many faults themselves, as, as, as we know. They're human beings. However, God, in His great mercy, I don't know how He does it. He's God, I'm not. But He has a plan for each one of these people. And He uses them, despite their mistakes, despite their shortcomings, to bring glory to the Father and to restore them so that he can reach the rest of the world. So just be, let that be a reminder for you, my friend, as we look now at how we could be blessed by God, how we could be followers of Jesus, how we can live according to his word so that we can impact those people around us. So the second thing now, let's jump to Matthew 5, 1 through 2 and read these words. Now, I will mention this because I'm not gonna have time to really jump into Luke chapter 6, 17 through 20, but that's the parallel Matthew 5, 1 through 7 is mentioned as the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6, 17 through 20 is referred more as the Sermon on the Plain. Some people reference, by the way, that these are two different ones. And I'm going to show you in a minute as to why I kind of believe that these are uh, pretty much the exact sermon that Jesus gave. So Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, it says, Seeing the crowds, so he just, remember, he just. Selected his disciples. So, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. Remember, we, t- we we read earlier that Jesus was up in the mountain. He was praying to finalize his disciples. So I believe he's still around that same region. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and he taught them. Okay, and we're going to see what he's going to teach them in a minute. Again, the content, the content there is the Sermon on the Mount. Now, it's important to note that the mountain's exact location is unknown. So people have, and you know, I've read a ton of stuff trying to figure out where exactly the Sermon on the Mount took place, but we don't really know the exact location. But it was undoubtedly in some area of Galilee. Okay, Matthew four twenty three, and also um, was apparently near Capernaum. Which were, there was a place of a level place, like Luke six seventeen puts it, it kind of gives us a little bit more insight there in Luke six seventeen. Assuming again that this was the same sermon that Jesus gave. Now this phrase, he sat down. This was a very customary thing for teachers to do. This is the first, and I, I want again, if you've been following me, we're at podcast twenty nine. So since we started podcast one, that this is the first and most in depth teaching given by Jesus recorded. Okay. So from the days of Moses to John the Baptist, God has used man to speak his word and Jesus is going to be using the phrases. You have heard that it's been said, but I say unto you. So now God in the flesh is going to give the greatest sermon ever preached. So this is gonna be awesome, my friends. This is gonna be really cool to unpack this kind of stuff. So notice what it says when he sat down, he taught them. Literally the term taught is he instructed them. Now many commentaries, as I mentioned before, differ as to whether Matthew and Luke's record of the Sermon on the Mount took place at the same time. Because here's why, because for instance, Luke's is shorter if you look at it in Luke chapter six, in comparison, and throughout the entire Sermon of the Plain In Luke, Luke's account, it omits much of Jesus' response to certain Jewish parts. So, hence the name Sermon on the Plain. However, it is quite clear, though, that I would say that based on the setting, the time frame, and the overall content that you see within Matthew and Luke, I believe both record the same sermon. Um, and, and so again, people differ on that. It's not totally a big deal in the end. What's most important is that we, we take what Jesus taught and we live it out. So let's jump right into now the Beatitudes. This is in Matthew chapter five, three through 12. You can also see this in Luke chapter six, 17 through 20. All right. Matthew five, verse three says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen. All right, so let's look at this term blessed. Now, I want to say this right out the gate. The term blessed is something that we find in Psalm chapter one, verse one, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, we are told in Psalm one. What's interesting is here you have the Psalms and how they're constructed, the Psalters. And Jesus, as he sits down in this authority, uses the term blessed in verse three, out the gate. I think that's important to parallel from the Old Testament, how you're blessed by walking according to God's commandments. You also see that in Psalm 19, seven through 11, uh, through seventh or through uh, excuse me Psalm chapter 19 7 through 14 and then you also see that in Psalm 119 so this terminology blessed yes it means happy it also means fortunate the Greek word is makeros okay so it literally means enjoying favorable circumstances so the teachings of Jesus throughout the the Sermon on the Mount is how we could be blessed um, through his his blessings, okay, that come from God, okay? Because God is a perfect being, and he wants to bestow blessings on his people. The blessings don't come by the Pharisaic way of righteousness. We'll see that in in later chapter of Matthew six. Now, at at that time, of course, the Pharisees laid out, right? They had their own constructs of of the way of how you are to live a a blessed life. If you do these things, you will be blessed as a result. However, the religious leaders focus on external matters. While clearly here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus addresses the intentions of the heart. If you go back and you see Matthew 24 through, through, uh, excuse me, Matthew 25, verse 34, says, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So this this term blessed or blessed as we go through it, yes, it's happy. Yes, it's being fortunate. But it really conveys this idea of enjoying favorable circumstances as you do the things that the Beatitudes list, okay, as Jesus lists those Beatitudes. So for example, let's look at the first one. It says poor in spirit in Matthew 5, verse 3. Now, you can see this in Isaiah 61, 1 and Isaiah 66, verse 2 as well. Jesus uses a lowly term poor. And why does he use this term poor in spirit? What does that mean? It means humility. This refers to people who don't rely on themselves. There's nothing in them worthy of acceptance. They trust God. You can see in Romans chapter 3, 9 through 12, we're all fallen. We're all despicable human beings. We put our dependency and trust in God's grace, okay? So we don't get caught up. People that are poor in spirit, they don't get caught up in the riches of the world, but they anticipate the restoration on earth. See, people who are poor in spirit, they beg for what they need, okay? We're humble about it. Hence, this reward that you get as a result of being poor in spirit is the kingdom of heaven. Because you're not looking for the riches of the world. You're looking for the riches in heaven. This was a message that was preached, if you remember, by John the Baptist, if you go back to Matthew 3, verse 2. So, the Sermon on the Mount is so important that not only Jesus starts with the term blessed that comes from the Old Testament, But he also starts with poor in spirit because that is how we are to live with great humility and dependence on God and anticipating his kingdom. Now, notice the second beatitude, those who mourn. This is in Matthew 5, verse 4. You can see this in Mark chapter 16, verse 10. You can see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 21. Jesus, when he mentions this term mourn, when he uses the term, it has an intense emotional pain. It's the Greek word pentheo. It's the strongest term for grieving. This is not in casual sorrow. This isn't shed some tears. You know, you're going, you're just having a bad day. No, this is intense. This is the worst kind of grieving. Notice those, blessed are those who mourn for why? Why? Because they will be comforted. That's the parakaleo. This is a term that is used of the Holy Spirit. Those who grieve and and you listening, my friend, I've lost, I lost a mother-in-law. I lost a parent when I was 15. That still to this day is some of the worst grieving I've ever experienced. But at the same time, I I get what Matthew 5, 4, what Jesus is saying here, because in the process of grieving and mourning the loss of of a dear loved parent, my mother, I was comforted. See, when we grieve intensely, we learn my friend. We learn about God's grace. We learn about about how to overcome obstacles. We learn what comfort truly is. We appreciate more uh, of our friendships and and life in general. We learn not to take it for granted. And also remember, Paul says in Philippians 3.10, that we are to fellowship, that we as Christians, we fellowship in the sufferings of Jesus. So Christ was comforted in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was comforted. The Bible says he was blessed to know of, and it was a joyful thing, knowing that when he would die, it would lead to life. And so there is comfort, uh, my friend, when we do mourn. Notice the third uh, beatitude here about meekness in Matthew 5, verse 5. This is also found in Psalm 37, 7 through 11, and Isaiah 57, verse 15. Now, this term, blessed are those who are meek, is not a pushover, okay? Jesus is not meaning that uh, to be the case at all. What he's saying is a meek person is one who is stable. They're strong. They're, They're humble. They're not arrogant. They're very considerate. You know, it's interesting when you look at the first two beatitudes, they deal inwardly, being poor in spirit and mourning, right? But here, meekness is one that deals and responds to others outwardly. Now, when you look at the ones who are poor in spirit they will inherit the kingdom of heaven. So ultimately, that is our spiritual posture. But as we live on this earth and we are meek, we will inherit the earth. And ultimately, as a Christian, we believe that we will inherit the the new heavens and the new earth with Christ in Isaiah 66 and Revelation 21, 22. So those are the blessings that come. So you see this inward Uh, dealings. Now you see this outward flow. And now this outward flow, the next beatitude we see in Matthew 5 or 6 is about hungering and thirsting for righteousness. The word hunger is the Greek word uh, pineo. It's a desperate kind of hunger. Now we all have had our moments when we are just in the spit of our stomach, just so hungry and we're famished and we're about to faint. I've been in those situations many times. I love to eat food. There's no question. But spiritually, there's this desperation. There's there's more to life than just physical food. As a spiritual being, because we're body and soul, we need connection with God and we should hunger to be more like Him. It's actually, it renders this idea of being more important than your physical uh, needs. This this term thirst now when Jesus is saying hunger and thirst for righteousness is the Greek word de paseo. This verb for both hunger and for thirst these verbs I should say for hunger and thirst they mean an intense desire. It's an ardent craving. It's an it's an all consuming pursuit. Okay. Now, when you and I have that, and you know what I got to say, my friend, honestly, as I've been going through the Beatitudes and just getting slammed, getting hammered one by one, seeing how pathetic and miserable I am as a Christian And just crying out to the Lord saying, Lord, help me to be more meek. God, give me the humility to be poor in spirit, Father, and and to comfort those who are mourning. And when I mourn, Father, I trust you and depend on you. And then when you come to Matthew 5 or 6 and you you see this hungering and thirsting, this desperate kind of hunger, this type of thirst that's an intense desire that I may be filled uh, in God's righteousness it just, it, it really, my friend convicts me to think, Lord, do I, do I desire you? And so I ask you listening right now, wherever you're at, do you have that type of hunger, that type of thirst for God? You know, when you and I do, the Bible says, when Jesus says, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled, that term filled is a reference to a fatten, to be fattened like a cattle, to have complete satisfaction, and you know, the sad reality is a lot of us go around in our Christian life very weak in our faith, not standing strong in our faith, not being bold, not sharing the gospel, not prevailing because we are not satisfied in him. We, we'd like to be, but we're not. And until we are, we will not be completely satisfied. We're always going to be looking for something beyond the Lord. And even as Christians, and isn't that sad? So now the next beatitude, when you're just building this one after the other, Jesus doesn't let up. In Matthew 5 or 7, he says, blessed are the merciful. So now, this is from Psalm 18 verse 25 as well. Now, a merciful person, we know what that is. It's someone that doesn't give you what you deserve. A merciful person extends what, what they too have received. A merciful person, my friend, shows compassion on the lowly and someone who is merciful for they themselves will receive mercy. It's just this constant multiplication as you and I forgive others. And as we extend grace and mercy, we, we too will receive that more abundantly in our lives. And as we experience that, we relate to it more. We understand and realize how frail and how fallen we are and how we need the mercies of God. And then you get into pure in heart here in Matthew 5, verse 8. This comes from Psalm eighteen twenty six. This is someone who's pure in heart is someone who's clear of shame or pollution. The terminology literally comes from this ritual purity. Again, not in the context of the Pharisees. So what Jesus is doing is he's setting these beatitudes, and then he's going to start attacking and pointing to the flaws and the mistakes and really, quite frankly, the heresy of the religious leaders of the day. And so when he's talking about this pure in heart, again, this is not legalism. Someone who understands their sinfulness and their need for Christ's forgiveness is someone who's pure in heart. And notice when you and I are pure in heart, my friend, and we can only be through the blood of Jesus Christ, we will see the Lord. You know, that is one of the great things when you see that we would inherit the kingdom of heaven, when they inherit the earth, the new heavens and the earth. Ultimately, this beatific vision, we will see God face to face. We will one day, my friend, be a part of his kingdom. Psalm 17 verse 15 reminds us of that. 1 John 3, 2 reminds us of that. Hebrews twelve fourteen. Revelation 22, 3 and 4 and on and on. There's so many passages that remind us of the beauty to come that we would be face to face that we will indwell or I should say this, that we will dwell in the presence of the Lord forever. And if you think that that's enough, it isn't because there's three other ones. And in Matthew 5, 9, Jesus is blessed are the peacemakers. A peacemaker is one who evangelizes the salvation of God. A peacemaker is one who diffuses conflict. A peacemaker and why they're blessed is because they they maintain peace. Remember Paul said in Ephesians 6, 15, when we have the armor of God, uh, people who are peacemakers, they they walk in the gospel of peace. we are told in Scripture that Jesus is our perfect peacemaker in ephesians two fourteen. So peacemakers are the our children of God because we are identifying who God is. We identify that we belong to God, and we want to live out His commandments that are not burdensome. We want to be obedient to that. We don't want conflict and resolution. Or we don't want conflict, we want resolution, I should say. And that's important because now the final two gets really uh, to the levels of, 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 again, the outwardness of what we have to deal with uh, in a day-to-day basis as a Christian. But again, if we have that inward peace, if we're living out these beatitudes and trusting the Lord and setting Christ as our, as our ultimate example, looking to our, the author and perfecter of our faith, we'll be fine. We'll prevail through it. Because now in Matthew 5, verse 10, in Matthew 5, 11 through 12, we talk Jesus here talks about being persecuted for righteousness' sake. He says, Blessed are those who, who revile, you know, or blessed are you if you're being reviled and, and people utter false claims about you, because your reward is great in heaven. You will receive the kingdom of God. You see, Satan, he wants to use people. He'll use certain techniques to disrupt and tear down to destroy your faith and my faith. That's what he that's what he does. He's a deceiver. he's 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 a Polyon. He's the destroyer. He tried to destroy Christ, and now he tries to destroy us. He tries you suffering to shame us, to to have you be disappointed, think there's something wrong with you. He'll use people to revile you and utter false claims and to attack you. There will be people who will mock you. There will be people who will criticize you and insult you and say all kinds of inappropriate things. And some of you listening right now, you have had to go through that, unfortunately. But at the same time, as a Christian with internal perspective, even though people slander us falsely and accuse us for doing certain things just because we're Christian, you know what? Blessed are us because our reward is great in heaven. So yeah, in one part, we're like, man, I'm so sorry that you're going through that. But at the same time, with internal perspective, you're like, you know what? God's going to use us for his glory and praise God that you're so bold that you're not compromising. You're not backing down. And as a result, people are going to slander you. They're going to try to put you down because that's the best that Satan can do. But you know what? There are others who have endured and received such greater persecution. And we got to look to a lot of these people. There are a great clout, cloud of witnesses of people that we see in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 that lived out their faith boldly. And there are many people today. And so even though I've been insulted and I've been mocked and criticized criticized as a Christian, I look at other stories of other people and I think, no, I haven't been persecuted to the level these people have been persecuted And I thank the Lord for those testimonies because it helps me be bold. and helps me be strong. And so friends, as I close, I encourage you to take a moment to look at these beatitudes. Are you poor in spirit? When you mourn, do you feel that you've been comforted? Are you a meek person? Are you stable? Are you strong? Are you humble? Are you not arrogant? Are you considerate? Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Would you say you're a merciful person who extends uh, that same mercy that you received from the Lord and show that compassion that is needed? Are you a person who's pure in heart? Do you understand your sinfulness and your need for Christ and his forgiveness? Do you anticipate to see the Lord someday face to face? Are you a peacemaker? Do you diffuse conflict or do you cause it? Do you realize you're a child of God if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior? And if you've been persecuting your life for righteousness' sake are you prevailing or are you growing weary while you're trying to do good you know people will revile you revile you they will say hurtful things as i mentioned but you cannot let the relationships with others or lack thereof to destroy or to remove or in any way shape or form Uh, Prevent you from growing in an intimate relationship with God. So, those are a few things when it comes to the Beatitudes. I hope that that encouraged you today. Continue to keep standing strong in your faith, and I will see you on the next podcast. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at StandStrongMinistries.org. Thank you for listening, and keep standing strong in the Word of God.